Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And it's finally here. My new book, The Complete List of Jericho, 30 Years of Smashes, Matches, and Hits. And to celebrate its arrival, I've got uh, Alex Marvis and Pete Fornatale, the two guys who helped me make this happen. You guys know Alex from AEW, Fathead Marvis, and his long career as a wrestling broadcaster, interviewer. Uh, and Pete is the guy who's helped me with all five of my books now. Now, I self-published this book through a great company called Scribe. In fact, you can buy the book at their website now. Uh, it's Jericho30.com. It's the easiest way to get it. And you can't find this in bookstores because I published it myself. Half the original first printing is already gone, actually over half. So if you want to get one of these, uh, you should do so fast because we're going to have to start on a second printing soon, which is going to take some time. Uh, so don't forget, it's Jericho30.com. Alex, Pete, and I are talking about what it took to turn my uh, notebook list of matches into an actual book with never-before-seen pictures, over 100 of them, actually, top 10 lists, and tons of stories from others in the business I encountered along my 30-year journey. Alex collected those and got some amazing stuff from Kenny Omega, uh, John Moxley, uh, and Brody Lee, actually, in his last maybe possible interview ever. Dave Meltzer's involved, Brian Alvarez, uh, Fumi Saito from Japan, some of the greatest journalists in the world today. Uh, learned a lot. Info I was surprised to read after the fact, even. You hear all about the pictures of how and where I got them and why some longtime friends like Lance Storm and Don Callis aren't in the book. It's a behind-the-scenes look at the complete list of Jericho, right down to what inspired the title and the book cover artwork. All right, that's coming up. But you know what else is coming up? Fozzie, we return Back to the road with a couple festival appearances in July. Uh, one of our own headlining shows, Iowa City at Wildwood on July 14th. That is almost sold out. So if you want to go check that out, uh, go get tickets as soon as you can at FozzyRock.com. July 15th in Kadot at Rockfest with Anthrax and Rob Zombie. And the 17th is in Jacksonville at the Taco Festival at Daly's Place, actually. And then the Save the World Tour starts September 2nd in Columbus. Tickets at FozzyRock.com. Uh, September 2nd, Columbus, the 3rd, Joliet, the 4th, Belvedere, the 6th, Kansasville, the 9th, Harrisburg, and the 10th is the Blue Ridge Rock Fest in Apotomax, Virginia. And then we go on and on. Baltimore, Pittsburgh is sold out. Flint is sold out. Cleveland is sold out. Johnson City is sold out. Don't be left behind. We go all the way to uh, October 9th in Orlando at the Earth Day birthday. Uh, go to uh, FozzyRock.com for all tickets and, of course, our VIP experience as well. We're putting together the set lists for the... Uh, uh, shows that we're going to do for you guys, the mini concerts that we do for the VIPs. It's a great, great time. So go check that out. And don't forget, we're going back to Europe as well, starting November 30th in Manchester, England at Club Academy, Newcastle, Glasgow, Dublin, Belfast, Birmingham, Wales. Wales is sold out, actually. Swansea sold out in 10 days. London. These tickets are going fast as well. Tickets and VIP information at FozzyRock.com. All right. Let's get back to Alex Marvez and Pete Fornatale and the complete list of Jericho right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. So it's a monumental uh, time for, uh, for Alex Marvez and, and Pete Fornatale and myself uh, due to the release of the complete list of Jericho, which is my fifth book. And actually, the fifth book that uh, Pete and I have worked on. It is number five and one unlike any other. I think we can say that safely. Yeah, just as, as a little bit of a history lesson. So Pete and I started working. And you've never been on Talk is Jericho. We've never discussed any of my books before, have we? I think we did. Uh, you snuck me on to talk about one because I can remember telling the story about how our partnership came to be at a poker game. And I told you that I, that, you know, I was asked if I knew who Jericho was and I did a Jericho impression and I got the job. And then you put me on the spot and asked me to do the, the Jericho impression and I did it and I nailed it. So I know I've been on once. <laughs> yeah, I think you were on kind of like as a opening guest type thing, but this is the first time. Uh, and Pete and I have been working together since Alliance Tale 2007, um, which started as kind of completely co-writing it together to consulting to I think Noah's a four-letter word. You just did some editing with me on it. But like you said, this one is 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 like none other. And for those of you that don't know what it is, I kept a list of every single match I've ever had. We can go into that. And then uh, decided to try and turn that into a book. 
And what I had done over the course of 30 years is just written these matches on pieces of paper and had a binder of pages that it's so crazy because had I lost it or had there been a flood or a fire, all of this would have been gone forever. So um, the idea was to take this and put it into a book. And I'm not sure if I talked to you about it at first, Pete, how early on in the process it was. Do you recall? I feel like it was about one year ago, though I remember this was something that lived like a lot of projects and ideas I think you have for, you know, what whatever they're for, uh, stories, angles, lines, things. I think they, they rattle around in your head for a long time because I feel like when we first discussed the existence of the list, maybe as far back as Alliance Tale, you had said to me, someday maybe this could be right. Fun. Well, the, one of the original things was we were going to use as, as a, a, use it as an appendix early on of putting all of these uh, matches at the end of a book, right? Which would have been another freaking hundred pages or so. But I, I always am a forward thinker because I remember actually Mark Gerald way back uh, on Lion's Tale had the idea of just focusing in on on Mexico and Japan and like the pre years of, of before uh, WWE. And that's where the idea came to do a, a succession of books. And once we started thinking that way, I thought, well, I don't want to waste, quote unquote, this whole list as an appendix. Maybe I'll do something with it as an entire book. So fast forward. And I, Alex is the silent man, but you will be talking a lot. So um, and we will have you. Uh, this course is Fathead Marvez here. <laughs> <laughs> so I then was thinking about the 30th anniversary of, of, of Chris Jericho. And I talk about that in third person, not from egotistical reasons, just because it's easier to, to visualize it, as Pat Patterson would say, visualize. So I thought, well, this is the perfect time to release this book of the 30 years of Jericho. And so probably, like you said, it was way earlier than, than a year that I started thinking about it, because probably eight to 10 months before. I called, uh, I believe it was Ben Greenberg, from you see Hachette or what are they at now? Whatever. Uh, he was he was Decapo, but I can't remember right. if they published this under the Decapo banner or the Perseus banner. But that that's where that's where he was at. And he had done the last book, Knows a Four Letter, where he might have even been involved with uh, with um, uh, the best in the world at what I have no idea. And also Mark Gerald, my longtime book agent, and both of them. And this is not a cut down, but both of them said. This idea is is very direct. I don't know what the exact word is. I've been trying to think of it for a week, but it's very esoteric or or niche, niche. Very I can see niche. Agent saying niche. It's too niche. Great call. It's too niche. And I was like, well, that's the idea. Like, if you're a Jericho fan or a wrestling fan in general, it should work. And they're like, it's too niche. It's too niche. And then you can see right behind me, over top of the belt this rush book right here it's called walking the face of the earth every single rush gig ever in this book right and all of my friends that are rush fanatics mike portnoy and charlie benanti etc so they couldn't believe this book you got to get this book and i got it and i looked through a few of it but it's more of just having it you know, I looked through the, the Rush gigs that I had seen and the set list and seen all the old pictures. I thought, this is just a really cool, like, almost like a coffee table his history book more than anything. And that's where I was like, it, man, I'm doing it. And I'm going to do it myself. So the first thing that I did was contact Alex Marvez, obviously, who's our backstage guy in AEW. He does so much more than that. And Alex, do you remember the, the first time I spoke to you about this and how I approached you about it? Well, it was interesting because it was December 18th in Corpus Christi, 2019. And wow. I come up with some stat for the announcer notes about Jack Perry, because you were wrestling Jack that night. This was going to be a 10-minute uh, you know, match, non-title affair. But this, this was a big deal. It was a main, main match. And I had mentioned that you had wrestled about your 758th match on the day that Jack Perry was born. Okay? Something to that effect. And I came to you with this, and you said to me, how do you know this? And now, now Chris and, and Pete, we know that the internet never lies, and I believe everything <laughs> on there. It's helped me out a lot of my life. And I basically said, well, I went to cage match, and I, and I tried, you know, I checked out different places, but I, I really didn't know. I mean, I'm relying on the internet for this. And then that's when Chris told me, hey, honestly, maybe this happened, but I actually have the documentation, and I want to do something with all of this. And I said, yeah, let me try to help you. 
with this. And that led to a couple months later, you giving me that binder. And I've got to say, Chris, I don't know if I've told you this yet. When you get angry, you're not a person you really want to trifle with. Okay. <laughs> I think we've learned that through the years. I was so scared of losing this book. I mean, <laughs> horrified of losing this book. I wouldn't check it in my bags. I made sure that I always had it in carry on, you know, my carry on stuff. And I tried to give it back to you as soon as I possibly could. <laughs> you know, in fact, I left it in your office, uh, your dressing room at AEW, and I was terrified someone was going to take it from there. I would go back and peek. <laughs> Did he get there yet to try to get this book back? But it, it was amazing the voluminous way that you kept everything. You know, the details that you kept in the matches as well, and really spot on with so many dates. And you were right. There were things in this book and in your journal that never were documented and never really could be because it was pre-internet. Right. So how are we going to get your match results from Mexico? How are we going to get your match results from Japan? Unless someone goes back and goes through again, I don't even know where they go with that because I'm not even sure how many newspapers. No, and that, and that's the beauty of it is like you mentioned cage side and actually as soon as I got hip to the fact that cage side existed, probably in 2015, I stopped writing down the matches because I said, well, they're all documented there anyway. So you almost had to pick that up too, where it kind of, I think, ended 2014, 15. Yeah. And obviously my matches at that point went from, you know, 200 a year down to at some point, I think in, in 2019, I had like four or six or something, but still it was all documented there, but where, where, where you can't repl replicate it is the first, you know, especially the first six years pre-WCW, uh, pre Canadian Indies, Europe, Mexico, Japan. Then when you get to Smoky Mountain, I'm sure it might be documented. You could probably find more of that in ECW too. But those first four or five years, you couldn't find anywhere else. And I had it all. Yeah. And the swath of people that you wrestled, was so amazing, especially when you look back. I mean, you, you had a diverse group of opponents in Canada and, and diverse group of tag team partners, but it was in Mexico. CJ, I counted it up, must have worked against more than 100 people Wow, there. And it was just uh, of all different styles, of course, but in all sorts of formulations as well. You know, trios matches and, and you know, your partners were almost always different. You know, your opponents were usually different. I mean, it was that was the thing that was remarkable and really the same almost in Japan, I mean, a lot of different faces. I never had a chance. I never, I ran out of time to mm -hmm. add up how many people that you actually wrestled. I'm sure one of your fans <laughs> is going to go through this book and document how many different people that you actually wrestled against. Because, you know, with 2,722 matches, you might be near a thousand different opponents when you throw in all the trios matches and, you know, tag matches and things like that across the world. Well, when we put out the paperback, Alex, you can uh, do a couple more uh, things to the appendix. And you can do that. <laughs> now, Pete, when did I approach you about, hey, we're really going to do this? That was last summer when it, okay. when you you had said to me, oh, I've got it. You described it as like, I got this little self-published idea I, I want to do. It's just going to be this list. You know, it, it wasn't the fully formed right. version of what the book came to be. But definitely last summer, you asked me, do, do I have any contacts in, in self-publishing? And I had, uh, you know, I, I had a couple of, of ideas, but yeah, that whole world has taken off. And I knew it was going to take some real research to try to find us the right option. You didn't want to just trust Google on that one. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, and it's funny, too, because um, my original thought was just releasing this as you know, it, it is typical me. Like, I, I, there's no way it ever would have come out this way. But my mind was, I'll just release it almost like as a pamphlet, like as a, like you just mentioned, kind of like, oh, here it is, and it's a little thin little book. It was actually you guys, Pete and Alex, that had all of these different ideas to to expand it and make it into a Chris Jericho worthy book. And what I mean of that is going the extra mile. And at first. I wasn't even thinking of going the extra mile. I was almost kind of like, oh, I'll just put it out so it's out there, whatever. And then the idea is to really start including all of this, you know, and we'll get to all the stuff that we included to make it the book that it is. I was not envisioning that at first. And that's why it was really fun to work with. It's always been great working with Pete, but it was great working with you too, Alex, because you are such a stats guy like our, like Tony Khan, our boss and coming from the NFL world and, and you have your radio show in the NFL. I'm sure there's a lot of stats and kind of factoids that you deal with on a daily basis. Then you brought that into this project as well. 
Well, the thing about it was, I mean, I wanted it to be like a human project because you're right. You know, this could have been because like, you've talked about it as well. When when you you know initially started keeping your journal, like you could go to a library back then and you right. could look up hockey stats. If you wanted to learn about somebody, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky, boom, you're going to go. You're going to go to the to a reference section and you're going to look at uh, uh, basically what's a media guide to get his stats. Well, this was a media guide, but that would have been very dry. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, just this straight list of matches with no real context. And that's when it got me thinking, you've got so many amazing stories. And I've read all of your books. They make me laugh out loud. Like I have to be careful where I read them because honestly, because it comes a little bit of a scene. I can even tell you I was on top of the Dallas Renaissance when I read your first book, laughing out loud at some of your stories from CMLL. Uh, no was a four-letter word. I'm on an airplane. I think I was in 4A, and I'm laughing there, and the person next to me thinks I'm an idiot. I mean, it was just, I mean, it's just, your stuff's great. But like, I like I how Marvis stuck that in there. Uh, he was in first class. 4A. <laughs> I, did, I did sort of stuck that in there. It's a Delta upgrade system. You know how that goes. But I mean, it, but it was like, it's true. It's like you have all this incredible material that you hadn't even written about yet. And I wanted to get some context. So I started pitching ideas to you like, hey, who are your top 10 tag team partners? What were your t- 10 best matches? What about right. the 10 best cities you ever wrestled in? You know, what's your 10 best entrance, like entrance music? You know, we could have fun with this book to break up the list. And then Pete started coming in with ideas as well. And between all of us and the pa- the passion that you showed. I mean, that was the thing. And I tell people, this wasn't Chris calling me on the phone and saying, yeah, I- I've got this one, this one, this one, and that's it. No, this was Chris Jericho actually sitting down writing and taking the time to do this himself and submitting the material to us because Chris Jericho is a perfectionist. And anything that has his name on it, he wants it to be as pristine as possible. And I think that's what really impressed me about you as well, Chris. I mean, the fact, you're, you know, it's not just you being a true professional, you know, in the wrestling world. It's just you being a true professional in general with the things that you do because you want everything to be first class. Well, and another thing about it, too, was, like I said, like, and, and Pete knows this, like, there's a certain time, and, and, and I'm sure all authors are like this, but especially for me and, you know, this book number five, it takes a while to get into that writing zone. And you put it off and you work on it a bit and you work on it. I went to actually, Pete just actually worked on, on Mox's book, which is coming out very soon. And I hooked you guys up because I said, I got the right guy. And this is another thing I was going to say. Pete understands the business. He always has, which really made a big difference. And Alex understands the business and Alex knows my career and Pete knew my career, which in 2007 is a lot different than it is now in 2020. But you guys were 2021. Sorry. You guys both got it, and you had to understand the reason why this project was special, and that's another reason why it worked. But until I got into that groove, I was very much cruising. Ah, whatever. You know, you would send me some stuff, Alex. Can you make some notes on this? I'm like, well, are we still working on this thing? And you know, like, aren't we done with this already? And then I started getting into it, and then I was like, dude, I found this bag of Doritos let's do the most ridiculous merch items that I've had or you know uh the biggest top 10 biggest duds <laughs> I love that one that's a good list yeah and then and then we started kind of picking certain matches you had some ideas Alex can you write about these 10 matches match number 200 match number 400 kind of sprinkled throughout that were that were monumental matches and then suddenly it starts clicking and then I got to do the ultimate sacrifice. I just had to do with my son a couple weeks ago because he's getting into comic books and, and hockey cards, going to the storage unit and looking through the 50 boxes of stuff, you know, plastic crates. Okay, where is the hockey cards? Where are the old photos? And then once I found that box, then I brought it home. and It was like, holy shit, look at this stuff. There's pictures from, you know, like, like singing karaoke with the Filipino girls at the drinking bar on my very first night in, in FMW in 1991, like stuff we've never used before. And we've had a lot of great pictures, Pete, but this was stuff that we had never seen. It really comes across as a very, very personal project. Not only all that, those contributions written in your own hand, but things that, yeah, you would expect to find in, in an album in, in somebody's house, not shared with the world. And when you can get that combination of your particular experiences with that level of visual elements and then oh by the way thanks to alex all these contributions from people you've worked with over the years right. just like blows it out to another to another level i mean i i could not be more proud of this book i mean i 
I still, I mean, Alliance Tale, I still go back to and read because it just cracks me up. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, one of my favorite projects I, I ever worked on. <laughs> so, awesome. so I, I can't put anything above that uh, that we've worked on together. But, but, but this is pretty darn close. As, as happy as I am with everything, this is just, you know, you took, you took that idea of niche, right, that, that the publishing insider types thought, thought was a bug, and you made it a feature. Because you made it this just uniquely, uh, this unique project that is just uh, so, so emblematic of, of everything that, that you and, and your career have all been been about. And I don't care, you know, what level of wrestling fan you are. This this is a book that you're going to want to have in your collection. And you're right, because it's historical. And that's another thing. Like, like it's very unique because I'm not going to go so far as to say you'll never see a book like this again, but I don't know anybody that's kept a list of all their matches. I think Frankie Kazarian said that he has been, he has done that. T- Tommy, Tommy Dreamer tried to catch me on that. He pulls out a notebook, right? Says, oh yeah, I've got everything. And then I say, well, you know, you wrestled Chris Jericho on April 13, 2008. And, uh, or is it 08 or 09? And he had forgotten to write it down. <laughs> so I, sent him back, I sent him back a text saying the not so complete list of Tommy Dreamer coming to a bookstore uh, near you. Um, but that and that's the tricky part. Listen, person, I give you credit, man, because you. I mean, listen. Every once in a while, there'd be a date that would be off, yes. but you still had the match written down. I mean, like you still kept. There was very few and far between that you missed a match. And I got to tell you, that's commitment. I mean, that really is right. to carry around the notebook if you carried around the whole binder, even if you just carried around paper to remember. I need to write this down before I forget, especially a lot of these small cities. I learned a lot about Canadian geography uh, during this. <laughs> Because Mexico, I want to make sure that everything was correct. Japanese geography as well. And, you know, there it was, I mean, in Mexico, I mean, but you had it. You know what I mean? That was the fun, that was the fun part about it, if you know what I mean, was being able to uh, to well, be able to look at some of this and just say, holy crap, you went into the middle of nowhere. And the funny and the funny thing is too, um, I never kept I never counted a battle royal as a match or a royal rumble, which I don't know why. I don't know why, but we found probably an extra 40 or 50 matches from the battle royals. There's probably a few of those that were left out. But other than that, like this is everything. And it goes back to the reason why I have this and why it's so unique because it does span generations and so many different phases of what wrestling was. But I told, I tell the story in the forward that I wrote for the book of first day of wrestling school, Keith Hart asks everybody if they have any questions and I ask him, how many matches have you had? And he says, that's, that's a stupid question. Nobody knows. I don't know. You know, people don't keep track of this. So you're a mark if you keep track of that. I mean, there's always the thing. Like, if you bought a wrestling magazine that your picture was in, you were, you were a mark. And it's like, why? That's cool. You know? I'm glad that I kept that stuff. I didn't tell anybody. When Bad News Allen said that, I could, I could tell you what he said, but I'd get canceled for it. I'll tell you guys later. Um <laughs> Yeah. So I remember Keith Hart saying that. I was like, well, if I want to find out, like Pete mentioned, how many games Wayne Grisky's played in, I can go to a library, a library, how archaic, and find the list. So I'm going to keep a list of every match I've ever had. And I still vividly remember the, the place I was staying at, the Palco's house in Okotoks, Alberta, in my upstairs room in the farmhouse they lived on, getting home that night and writing. October 2nd, 1990, number one, Lance T. Storm, Pinocchio, Alberta, 130 people, 30 bucks and two and a half stars, right? So when we went through all this, it's like, you will never see this. And not that I'm, you know, the biggest of the big, but my career is pretty much at a level of a Ric Flair or a Bret Hart or somebody like that. Those guys don't have that type of history because they didn't keep the list. I have it all in this book. So that's why, to me, like you guys said, whether you're a Jericho fan or just a wrestling fan, you're not going to find something like this. This is a a legit history textbook from a 30-year career where even, like I said, if I'm not your favorite, all of your favorites are included in this, (laughs) which is the the beauty of of it, you know? It's true. And, you know, I learned a lot as well, for example, like uh, winning percentage that you had. You think about most (laughs) Hall of Fame wrestlers. You know, guys like like Hogan won, you've got to figure at least 80, 90 percent of his matches. Right. Right. And so many I would imagine with the exception of Ric Flair, I don't know if there's a Hall of Fame wrestler that has a winning percentage like yours, which is around 53 percent. It's the most even Steven booking like of your just for 30 years, you know, over one week, not over the next. I mean, but that's what that's what you had. The fact that you wrestled, I believe, 45 Wrestling Observer Hall of Famers. 
And the number is going to continue to go up uh, throughout uh, because, you know, each year we're going to get people that become eligible that you wrestled against that are going to be inducted into that Hall of Fame. WWE, same thing. You're up in the 40s as far as people that you wrestled against. And, you know, we are able to have some fun with some of the stats, too. We added up the amount of time you wrestled in the Royal Rumble and had that as a pullout. We counted out, counted up every country that you wrestled in, and that's in a chart as well. We had the average star rating for you because you were your own worst critic. And it was interesting. And it also got to see how you rank things. It wasn't, you know, a lot of wrestlers, I'm sure, are going to be giving themselves a lot of five stars. You didn't, yeah. really. And were very tough on yourself through the years, quite honestly. People may have raved about your matches, but you'd find something you didn't like and, and knock it down a star. So I just think that was interesting as well. So we counted up what the star percentage was for all of your matches along the way. And just try to make it this, you know, not only what you did unique, but the presentation to make it unique, to really go behind the numbers about things that you did. Oh, and I did it by the numbers on you as well. We threw oh, yeah. that in there, different staff. You've got a lot of stuff at the back. The, the, the career record is, is like in a circle pie chart. 1,419 wins, 1,226 losses, and 77 draws. That's 52%, 45%. Three <laughs> percent, and this is stuff that Alex did all on his own, you know. And by the way, you think Bad News Allen was mad that I bought a wrestling magazine? He'd be furious that I know my career win loss record. <laughs> and then the Royal Rumble breakdown, which is great because this is still a record. I'm sure they'll push somebody to do an hour next year just to get me off the top of the mountain. But I have the most time in the Royal Rumble matches: four hours, fifty nine minutes, and thirty three seconds, and that's a record. So That's awesome. Once again, all of that stuff is in here and it's so much fun. Pete, I want to ask you, when we decided to, to, to self-publish, and I'm sure I think either you had the idea or I, I probably said, let's just do this. And you said self-publish. How exactly do, do we make that happen in this day and age? I'm sure it's a lot easier now than it was 10 years ago, but also as well, this was in the middle of a pandemic. There was an embarrassment of choices in terms of places where you can go and get your book and they'll make copies of your book. But I didn't want to just go with something generic. I wanted to look and I said there must be people within this world that are the best of it. And there must be people who've worked with bigger names before and, and have had the experience of, of helping them amplify the message and, and sell as many books as possible. And I actually, I remember the, the origins of wrestling publishing all the way back to the 1990s and i just started talking to people that I, that i dealt with and one of the guys was a guy named jeremy ruby strauss who deserves some some credit here he was mick foley's first editor oh wow so i brought up the idea of doing wrestling books circa 1997 in a meeting at random house i was literally laughed out of the meeting oh in 1997 you brought that up wow oh, yeah, i wanted to do i was like let's do books with the wwe that's ridiculous. Those people don't read yeah. wrestling fans. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. But uh, Jeremy Ruby Strauss will come up again later. You know, he was the one who, who got that first great. And it was like an insane deal. I'm not joking. I think it was like seven books for low six figures, the mm. original wrestling book deal. And of course, Foley's ended up, ended up being the first one and it blew up to my old boss's credit. The day that that book hit number one on the New York times bestseller list, he came back to me and said, Pete, I'm sorry, you were mm. right, I was wrong. Is there anything else we could do? A conversation that eventually led to the publication of the Goldberg book, which is a completely other story we won't get into. But <laughs> when when I when I call I just called Jeremy to shoot the breeze with him and he's like, Do you know about scribe publishing? And he told me about uh Tucker Max and this new project. Tucker was another author of Jeremy's from another point in his career, and he said, You gotta check these guys out. We had conversations with, with Tucker and Zach and Ellie and the team from Scribe. They had put books on the, the New York Times bestseller list. They had dealt with celebrities. They had people working for them who had design, you know, design, done design and all aspects of publishing at the highest levels. And I was like, these are the guys for us. We can't just mm -hmm. go. We can't just be another author going to some service. Right. And, and the other thing that sealed the deal for me was I said to Tucker, the first thing I said to Tucker was, do you know who Chris Jericho is? And he said, of course, I'm from Kentucky. Like that proved that he had to, he had to know who, who you were. But uh, they've been a, a, an absolute pleasure to work with them because we're not we're not losing anything in terms of the production values. This is first rate stuff. I mean, yeah. Alex, Alex said before, you're somebody who does you, you do things 
first class and you're uh, the th something that unites the three of us in this project i think is we're we're, we're all three uh, doers in in worlds full of in a world full of talkers <laughs> and you know when i when i talked to scribe i got a similar vibe and 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 they've just been the perfect partners on this one thing i always and for, uh, also too i have to give a, a, a thank you to joey casada uh, great drummer, and he's written a couple books on his own. Start with a Dream is is one of them, and, and Joey Licious, he self published, and he gave us uh, some great advice and some great tips as well. So I always bust his balls, and I'm actually going to say thank you to him. And I, sh I need to send him a book too. So rem remind me about that, Alex. Uh, one one of the things I love before we get into, to, I'm sure there's some great stories of all the different people that you spoke to, Alex, to make contributions to the book. I always love bringing different creative people together, and Alex and Pete, you had not met before. Uh, what did your what are your thoughts about working with each other? It was I listen. I enjoyed it because Pete was always there. He cared. He didn't keep track of the photos too well sometimes. But other than that, <laughs> everything was really solid. I mean, so it, listen, it, it's not easy doing this work in a pandemic. I mean, because we're I keep you know really weird hours. I, I do two full time jobs basically. You know, AEW and, and NFL radio. And when I'm in the NFL, I need to know everything going on with 32 teams, and that is a full-time type deal. So usually we talk, you know, by 7 a.m. in the morning. You know, mm -hmm. we were on the phone. I'm a very early morning person. And, I, you know, we would, we would discuss the news of the day, how we had to hit certain deadlines. And we tried to honestly shield you from as much BS as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, because, Chris, you don't do BS well. Yeah. And so we realized <laughs> that let's try to make it at the only things essential to ask Chris. Like, just that's it. That was it. Like anything. And I would ask Pete, I would bounce it off him. Like, how do you think Chris is going to respond to this? Are going to get pissed off at this? Do you think he's going to get angry at me if I ask this question? You know, all of these things. And, you know, he was, but he was great. He was my human pincushion. Now he was my shield because anything that was bad that we had to ask you, he had to do it. So that was it. He was tremendous. Alex buried me, but I'm going to, I'm going to put him over anyway. I think it was when I first talked to Alex, I realized what a success this book could be because of his access to not just to Chris, but to so many of the other uh, fantastic people who make contributions in this book. I don't, I mean, I, to my knowledge, there's never been a, a wrestling book. There's other wrestling books that bring in some other perspectives and this and that, but to have these different voices from throughout the different eras of your, of your career, that was exceptionally difficult to put together. And uh, Alex managed not only to, to, to get that stuff, but then to, to integrate it into the manuscript with, with aplomb. And, you know, the, the, the result just speaks for itself. It was neat to be going back and getting people to talk about Chris, you know, and we have, you know, listen, we have wrestling journalists. We tried to get someone from every era to provide perspective. Uh, you know, for example, uh, Fumi Saito, who's a, a great mm -hmm. Japanese journalist, he could provide perspective on what his favorite Jericho memories were. Yeah, Fumi yeah. is like the Dave Meltzer of, of Japan. Like, he's the guy to go to for this. We, we found a Lucha writer who could rank Chris's matches. That was tremendous, yeah. you know, from Lucha World to have that happen. Uh, you know, and then we tried to get the, you know, the wrestlers themselves. And listen, I, and just to, the 500-pound pink elephant in the room, if anyone's asking, no, we did not get WWE help. No, we did not ask WWE for help. We didn't. This is an independent project. So when it comes to trying to get cer certain perspective, there are people that literally, number one, we couldn't get because they were under contract. And number two, we're not going to cause them to get any grief. You know, right. if they speak for this book, that wasn't worth it. That's not what Chris is trying to do. But there's plenty of people, you know, from both AEW who, and people who've worked elsewhere with him who are more than willing to weigh in. Shane Helms, for example, tremendous mm -hmm. contribution. You know, Conan, tremendous contribution. And everyone had a story. And you learn something uh, about Chris with this. You know, and you also learn how the wrestlers saw it. I mean, Scorpio Sky, a guy who'd been in this business for almost 20 years, is telling me how he's nervous because he's got to go on a microphone next to Chris Jericho. <laughs> like Sky, I mean, Scorpio Sky yeah. has wrestled in front of tens of thousands of people. He's done, I mean, this should be old hat, yet he's worried, is he going to be able to keep up with Chris Jericho? You know, I have Jack Perry, you know, Jungle Boy, who throws up before every match as it is anyway, <laughs> telling me about, some, about what he learned from you, which is, you know what, you can do 10 zillion different things during a match. All these flippity-flip moves, all this sort of stuff. And yet at the end of the day, what are people going to remember? The main finish or the main angle coming out of it. And that's the thing that he remembered most that he was able to learn from you, which is helping him moving forward and constructing well, his matches and hopefully having a long career. So all these different perspectives. And, yeah. have a memory about you. and it was cool for me to read those because I didn't know um, you kind of had a list of people and, and I didn't know who you were going to talk to and reading their comments. Like I didn't know anything about, about, about Scorpio. 
being nervous, you know. And Jack has done some interviews before saying how I kind of helped him realize, like, it's just, it's the same process that everybody goes through, where one day you just go, holy smokes, everything the, the, the old timers are telling me is right. It's not what you do. It's when you do it. You know, it's connecting with the crowd. I can't believe it. So that was very, very cool uh, for me as well. Now, there's a couple kind of glaring omissions as to guys that we didn't get. And I'll tell you the reason why. Uh, Lance Storm is not in there. Don Callis is not in there. When we started asking people to do these interviews, it's also when we were doing the, the Jericho 30 uh, uh, celebration on Dynamite. So I had asked Lance to give some comments. I had done a watch along with Lance for our first two matches. And I'm like, I've been blowing Lance up to t talk about how great I am. I'm just going to leave him out of this. And same with Don. Don had made some comments for, uh, for, for the Jericho 30. So anybody like that, I just didn't want to keep hammering them with like, yeah, tell me more about how great I am. <laughs> leave these guys alone, you know? All right, let's get back to Pete and Alex. If you want to get the complete list of Jericho, don't forget, just go to Jericho30.com. That's Jericho30.com. So, so, Alex, of all the guys that we talked to, uh, there's a couple that stood out to me. Um, and you can tell me maybe some behind the scenes of getting them. But, but the, the Kenny Omega story, I thought was just great. And the Kenny Omega story basically talks about how for the Tokyo Dome, he was a little bit concerned that maybe I would just be some fat cat, you know, big name guy coming in for a paycheck and how every match he usually has he has to come up with everything but when i met with him at the at the at the uh, dojo new japan dojo in tokyo i had most of the match in my head i thought that was very interesting and it was it easy to get kenny to comment and because kenny's a little bit of a free spirit hard to nail down sometimes <laughs> to, to say the least but you know what he sent me back a text within 30 minutes that had basically everything written out properly and all right detailed the entire experience and he was he was excited to be asked about it to be honest with you and you're right you know it was something refreshing for him because so many times people were just coming up to him how do you want to do the match and he would have to do all the lifting and instead he felt this was neat because it was a collaborative effort between you two and, and that was something that that he really really enjoyed mm -hmm. doing and and, it, and chris as we talked about it i mean there's a little inside baseball here but sometimes i didn't know who to approach quite honestly I, you know because in wrestling i have learned you walk on eggshells Right. The last thing you want to do is say, go, go ask someone for a Chris Jericho memory and he can't stand Chris Jericho. Or he can't stand Chris Jericho. And then at that point, Chris is going to be coming back to me. Why the hell did you ask this for this comment? Because we have this issue. So there were some people I honestly I would always go to you and I'd say, are they friends of Jericho's? Are they FOJs? You know, are we good with asking this person? And you too had a, had a list like, look, this person doesn't mean as much to me, maybe as somebody else. We don't we can leave them out because at some point you do have to draw a cutoff. And we have literally hundreds and hundreds of people that we can ask about their memory of wrestling Chris Jericho. But we tried to narrow it down to people that you know really meant something or had a pretty good anecdote. But I think if I went back, if we ever did the second 30 years of Chris Jericho's <laughs> career, I can go back and interview more people and get more stories and more behind the scenes things about how cool it is and how many people you've touched along the way. You mentioned that, Pete, just how, how that became a very unique part of the book as well, uh, having all of these different interviews and stuff like that. Were you proofreading everything? Like, what was your, like, would Alice get the interviews and then give them to you? And then, because there's a lot of layout and design in this. We, we had that actually in college, layout and design for one of the classes I was in. And I've never had to really use that. But we were really involved in even, like, the, uh, the, the, the font that we're using and all this other stuff. The design worked out great, but leave it to the old journalism major to remember uh, layout and <laughs> design. design Adobe, right. Adobe PageMaker or what? what, what <laughs> that's was right. It? Yeah, that's what journalism back exactly. in the day. But yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that piece of your that unheralded piece of your resume. But yeah, I mean, Alex did. I mean, I was in editorial role. I mean, I came up with a couple of ideas, maybe. Uh, but Alex did. I mean, the, by far, uh, if, when it came to words, that was him. And then I would edit. You know, Shane Shane Helms wrote uh, his, Shane Helms' initial contribution could have been published as a novella, and it, it was fantastic. <laughs> but you know, we we had one page, and that was a job of mine to preserve its essence and, and get it down there. And you know, I've been a book editor and working freelance with books for for thirty years, so it was an absolute pleasure to to try to do that. But as for the design, I had I had another poll. This one goes back even before the the advent of W uh, W then F publishing in the late nineties. I worked with a guy named Sam Potts. 
who helped design the first book I ever wrote, which I have to send you, Chris, you particularly would enjoy it. It's a book of 80s. It's like a quiz book of, about the 1980s. So oh, it's wow. like a line from a song and you have to identify the song and then we give you <laughs> some bit of trivia about Paul right and Oates or Men Without Hats or, you know, whomever. Men Without Hats. Yeah, but, <laughs> the, but Sam was the designer on that. It was amazing. And I followed his career from afar. Um, you know, we, we'd sort of lost touch. I reached back out to him because I was like, we don't want this to look like exactly like a sports information book. We don't like a, the hockey encyclopedia or whatever. We want it. We want it to have that element and be able to get all that information across. But we also want to be able to present all this great content that Alex is getting in that Chris is contributing and but make it all look of a piece with these visual elements as well. And I knew we needed a, a, a Hall of Fame designer. You know, we needed somebody, right. somebody who was, was able to go to the mountaintop in terms of their skills. And, and Sam, another guy who, you know, very interested in, in wrestling and put together a, a beautiful, beautiful design presentation. Because that was the one awkward conversation I had with Scribe when I first gave them when I first gave them the materials all along, I assumed we were going to need to bring in a ringer designer. And they kept saying like, Oh no, it's going to be fine. Our in-house people will do it. Mm. And then, you know, we sent them, I sent them the manuscript and it was more polite than this. But the message I got back originally was what the hell is this? You mean when you, <laughs> it really is a list of matches with these. It's like, yep. What I said it was, it actually was. And you know, it was great. We had a quick conversation. I said, look, I think I know the perfect guy. We, we brought him in. And and it was uh, it, it was a fantastic collaboration. I mean, it was. I feel like the story of this book is the story of of uh, putting the right team together right. and letting you be the captain, Chris. And and in the end, the puck went into the back of the net. And the other thing about it too that that I thought made it manageable because you have two thousand seven hundred twenty two matches. We broke it down yes. by parts of your career. Yeah. And that became so much easier because then at that point you had a cutoff. You knew where the photos were going to be and we could intersperse different factoids. And that was another reason to try to, you know, you know, where we spread these things out. The, the top the top 10 of Jericho throughout the book is a way to break up lists. And we also had situations where there was a long stretch of the first run of your WWE career from, you know, 1999 all the way up. Uh, to about 2008, right? Is that 2005? 2005. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So just but almost a thousand matches were right there. And then you have sections that are a little bit shorter, but we're able to extend with photos, more infographic stuff, things like that uh, to keep it going. But yeah, and the design was amazing. And, and what, you know, and you were hands on with it. You knew specifically how you wanted this thing to look. We had a different look initially, and you said, I want this, this, this. And then we ended up, Sam did a great job getting it all together. Yeah, he gave us some options of, of how exactly we panned out. Because like you said, there is a lot of info, win, loss. And the way that we ended up doing it was really cool because there's a W in the corner and then there's the match number over top of that. But the match number, the date, the city is kind of in lighter font. But the win and the actual who was in the match is in a darker font. And then there's a lot of stuff too. And Alex, you had to kind of discern some of my cryptic writings of you know like i'm looking at this one match number 12 12 uh december 5th um i don't know what the year it is because we haven't uh 2000 maybe yeah 2000 uh a tag with hardcore harley versus kane and william regal and it just says holly beside it so that would mean that holly got the win that's what i would discern it but i wouldn't say holly with the pile driver it would just be like if it wasn't me winning i would just put yeah, it wasn't you've not forget it there was, there was no, a lot of that sort of stuff where i'm like like how much detail do you really because I, I i did a saturday special the night which is another time when i was like come on pete get a hold of these guys at 10 o'clock at night and tell them i want to sign every single book sold through this <laughs> i did my best you did your best and we and it worked out like you said like, what's the worst that can happen they get mad at us for selling too many books not gonna happen we sold almost 400 books in an hour so i think we'll, we'll be okay but but point being is that well then what, what did holly win with i'm like i didn't write that down guys like like how much is too much and <laughs> that would have been a little bit too much another thing you mentioned is the photos and photos are, are always such a touchy subject because I know you guys, or, or, I can't remember if it was Peter Alex, we need more WWE photos, right? And I had a bunch that were like taken by private photographers or people that sent fans or whatever. But to get the actual WWE pictures is always hard. And to me, I was like, I don't think we need more WWE. What I liked, and I, I, another book that I took a lot of inspiration from was Metallica did a Master of Puppets 
hardcover book in 2016 for the 30th anniversary of that record. It's the older photos that I always really like to see because we see them all now. But looking back, I really like the idea of putting as many of these pictures, like keep in mind, the first five, six years of my career, you actually had a camera. And you, you, if it's the winding one, like that's how you took pictures. There was no phone. So I had boxes of actual photo prints and I could use as many of those as I want. I might not be able to get, you know, the, 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 the WWE copywritten ones, but these ones I can use as many as I want to. So I think overall it kind of worked out with the distribution of, of the eras of the photos. Yep. Let me fall on the sword here. This is the first time you're going to know of this, Chris and Pete. I do know there's one error in the book and I messed uh -oh. up the name. For some reason, Ricky Havlick is referred to as Ricky Harvick in the book. And I'm trying to figure out if I was thinking of Kevin Harvick, the NASCAR racer, or why this is. But we will sign a book Who's for Ricky him. Who's Ricky Havlick? Ricky Havlick is from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, I believe. Oh, and Ricky gotcha. is, that was one of the people that we were able to contact. George Napolitano stepped up in a big-time way, contributed did, a number right. of photographs. Blackjack Brown contributed photographs. We, you know, people that, that you've helped along the way with interviews or, or access – you, you know, they came back for you. Yeah. So for those eras, you know, and, and we didn't need a ton, but we were able to get contributions. So they, there are well-represented WWE yeah. photos. It's not like we don't have photos. We got some great ones. Yeah. yeah. No, but we just weren't going to go and, and beg, you know, Vince for, for photos. That's just not something. Yeah, that I, I, first, I'm not exactly in uh, Vince's Christmas list. And to be <laughs> honest with you, <laughs> to be honest with you, if I caught him on the right moment, he'd probably let me. But I didn't want to go that route. Like, I didn't want this, like you mentioned. Not that I have anything against him. This is my project. I'm publishing it myself with, with Pete and Alex. Let's keep it as in-house as possible. And like I said, I like the idea of asking people uh, in the, uh, for favors that are, like you said, a George Napoletano has been a photographer for years. He's not a WWE photographer. He's an independent photographer who took millions of photos in New York. And we were able to get pictures with everybody. There's pictures with The Rock, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, you name it. Anybody that we wanted we found it. And of course, we had the whole AEW library, which was great. And then all my Japanese stuff. But Cena, like the ones that we needed pictures with of those type of big WWE names, we found. And they're ones that you won't see anywhere else because I had them in this box. There's one of me putting Cena's face into the cage at Madison Square Garden. I don't know where, we, where I got that one from. I didn't even know I had it. But to find it, it's like, holy smokes, this is going to be perfect. The other key thing about the photos for me, guys, is that the, photo, the photos that we didn't get, quote unquote, didn't get, they're out there. Everybody's seen them. They're yes. everywhere. Yes. Whereas That's when you're looking, you're looking through this book, in those chapters, you, you, they're represented with shots nobody's seen. And then throughout the book, there's all this other stuff people haven't seen. So, it, I mean, to, to me, it, it came together ex exactly um, of a piece. You, even, wanted, yeah. It would have made a perfectly, that would have been a perfectly sensible, purely editorial decision as well. It's funny, uh, just as a quick segue, I posted a, a bunch of pictures on Instagram on the 22nd when the book came out. And one of them is a picture of me and Eddie. And the, the caption says, uh, Eddie raises my hand in victory. I'm not sure when this was, but it's a great picture. It brings a smile on my face. But, I, but it says, I'm not sure when this was, was, right? And I'm like, I don't know how that one slipped through the cracks. But lo and behold, I post that. And the first comment on Instagram is like, there's a typo there, was, was. I'm like, ha, A, how did you see that in 10 pictures and it's this big? And B, how did that get through? Of all the things, that's the first thing you, you say. We'll Fans fix all the mistakes. So they're, they're, the way these books are flying off the shelves. That's right. We will fix them in the second edition. And that is a good note to throw out there to, to fans, too. It's uh, because pandemic related and because of the production values associated with the book, it's going to be hard. There may be a time when these are out of stock for for a minute. So order right. order right. early right. and right. often. But I will talk to them. I think we're doing well enough that I'm going to go ahead and, and fix all the uh, all the things that need fixing. If you're a fan <laughs> out there, just holler at me directly at Looms Boldly on Twitter. We'll get this thing uh, absolutely perfect for, for edition number two. A couple more things to talk about. Uh, you mentioned the pandemic, and we actually the Jericho 30 episode of AEW is when we first kind of unleashed. Go to Jericho30.com. That was October 7th, 2020. The book comes out June 22nd. There's a lot of people that pre-ordered that were like, Are we ever gonna get this freaking thing? And the excuse that was given is because the pandemic publishing was holed up. And I'm like, it's the same reason why with my 
second edition of the bubbly i wanted it to be gold foil and they said you can't get gold foil because of the pandemic but you can get silver foil and i'm like so is the is, is the corona living inside the gold foil machine is it living inside the pub the, the publishing machine what was the delay in getting this thing out because people were starting to turn on me like are we ever going to get this thing I think from what I understand, it's overseas printing is required for the level of uh, of production value we wanted the book to oh, have. Okay. And like print printers are just backed up with with projects. So it's it's finding the physical time awesome. to get on the press. But, uh, you know, we're looking at it every day and hopefully we'll keep it. We'll keep things very smooth when we when we feels like inevitably have to go back and get pressing number two rocking and rolling but yeah it was uh that was my understanding of the, the physical reasons for the delay um but even in the best of times when you're dealing with overseas printing there there can be there can be a lag between printings just because it's hard to it's hard to gotcha. estimate and it takes it takes time once again it's just amazing we have to go overseas for this level of of production that it wouldn't have it in the states but and when you're speaking of production the cover of this book could be the best one yet i've gotten so many comments from the cover uh they did a great job of what's called like embossing with the foil i don't know what they say when it's when the if you if you could read braille you could read this it's like popped up or however that is once again, this is done by my graphic designer, Abdul Malik in Saudi Arabia, who did a great job. The photos from Speedy, uh, I think his last name is Ruiz, Speedy Ruiz, our AW guy. Kate Lomax, who did my jacket, reached out. She lives in England. She's like, I can't believe it. My first book cover. So it was just a really cool uh, combination. And man, what a what a great cover that is. And did we plan on having it embossed this way or did they just come up with that? I'm not sure if that was an Abdul Malik contribution or if that was really from the publisher. Like I said, these are people at, at Scribe who've uh, worked with all the big guns. And when you look at Abdul Malik's design, it just it just begs to be as blinged out as possible. So I right. think it, it was it was just a very uh, it was just an organic uh, investment in the product that, you know, I still haven't. I'm so envious, Chris. I haven't held the thing in my hands, but I mean, it, it, it really looks like an object there's there's a lot to it there i it I does can't wait to and, get it and doing the, the opening i did it uh, once again f filmed it on uh, on instagram of me opening this box and it was it, anytime you open the box of the first cds or, or lps or books it's always cool but this one like i said you've seen this picture a thousand times but to actually hold it and the way like i said with the foil and everything they did uh, just an amazing job and two more things about the cover and then there's one last story i want to ask you about alex pete asked me what do you want to put on the back cover of this remember that yeah and i was like i'm really not sure so what did i do i went to the rush book what do they have on the back and it's an old school picture of alex lifeson and getty lee from probably 1976 or so and i was like well I'll go find an old school picture of Jericho. So that's taken in 1991 where you can see a blue background, which is a blanket that we had uh, stapled up to a hotel room wall and uh, took some pictures there. So that's the perfect kind of bookend to this tome. Once again, uh, borrowed from, from Rush. Then and now, baby. Then and now. Can you tell that it's a blanket in the way that it it it, it affixed on the back? I, I tried to yes. make it so that you could, but then yeah, I wasn't well, sure if it would capture it. Yeah, once once I pointed out, you could pretty much tell because you can see the bottom where like a blanket has like the 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 satin rayon fringe or whatever fringe it is. at the bottom of it. You know what I mean? So uh, it, it's really funny because the first book, Lion's Tale, was very influenced by Mick Foley, Have a Nice Day. And Andy Summers of The Police had written One Train Later. And I remember reading both of those going, there's a lot of comedy in here. There's a lot of great references in here. And here we are, you know, gosh, 14 years later. No, yeah, 14 years later, where Rush, the Rush book, Wandering the Face of the Earth, was the big influence for The Complete List of Jericho. And then the last thing I'll say about the cover is every book has a tagline, a lion's tail around the world in spandex, you know, undisputed, how to win the world championship in 1,321 matches, whatever. Uh, this one, the complete list of Jericho, I was like, what am I going to write? What am, or what am I, what's gonna, the tagline going to be? And then I, I, I decided on 30 years of smashes, matches, and hits. Now you might ask, where did you get that from? There is a KISS best of record from 1988 called Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits. And I thought, well, that was a best of, and this is kind of a best of, smashes, matches, and hits. It's perfect. 
So thanks to Paul and Gene for that. And you can see basically everything I do is, is nicked from somebody else. Also, I mean, good artists borrow, great artists steal. I think that's as, <laughs> as, as true of professional wrestlers as it is musicians and filmmakers. And, and you, you live up to that line, Chris. <laughs> yes. Uh, Alex, we're talking about all the different people that you approached. And one of the, the, the greatest honors of this book is the fact that now let me let me phrase this properly i had written about a lot of people and one of the guys i wrote about was brody lee and i had a great picture of brody and i because it's, it's the famous story is when i came back to the wb in 2015 and only worked live events um and i remember nobody had ever done that before i don't think anybody's done that since i didn't have i didn't want to have anything to do with tv i'll just come back and work live events and i worked with basically cesaro and brody if i worked 70 matches that year is probably 30 against each one of those. And that's when I really got to know Brody and got to realize just how of a, a great of a worker he is. And actually uh, this, once again, this is written in 2016, 2015, I worked house show matches almost exclusively with Brody Lee and we never had a bad one, just an excellent performer. Now this is written while he was still working in a he's with us. Let's talk about, you asking him to give a, a, he tells a great story about how I pulled a spinal tap and, and said the wrong name. And I said like, hello, Syracuse. And he said, Hey, we're in Rochester. And I didn't miss a beat and went hello, Rochester and got everyone back on my side again. But talk about how monumental this quote is. And why did you decide to approach Brody in the first place? Yeah, this one, I still get goosebumps even really talking about it. Cause I, I might be one of the last people in the company to have spoken. Right. Brody. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, and if you now have a have a vaccine, you know, or you've, you know, basically, and, you know, you don't have to go through the testing protocol, you're vaccinated. But at the time, there was no vaccine. So every time you would head to Jacksonville, right. you'd have to go to the fourth floor at the Hyatt, and you would get your finger pricked, and you would wait 10 minutes for the result to show up, get your clearance, and then you would go on. And listen, they caught people that had COVID. I mean, that they, they, some didn't even know they had it. It came yep. away. Others were just getting, you know, they were just feeling it. Um, in the case of Brody, he was sick, but not COVID. But it was just very strange. He's sitting in the corner and I've got 10 minutes to kill. And I'm like, hey, you know, I got to start getting these interviews done. Let me walk over and talk to Brody. So he was very nice. And I asked him, do you have a, a good Chris Jericho story you could share? Talks to me, I think it was 47 seconds. I get it. And then our doctor, Doc Sampson, runs over and says, Alex, you got to get away from him. And I said, you know, and Doc is a, is a good guy. He and, is a great guy. And, and he just, you know, like I took it like, yeah, Doc, you know, sure. Okay, I'll be gone in a minute. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. You have to go now. Okay. So I like, they thought he had COVID, right? Basically. Yeah. He, he knew which something he did not. Wrong. Which he did not. He did he not. He did yeah. not. The, ne the next thing is about two hours later, I'm heading over to, you know, to TIA Bank Field. Oh, to Daly's place. And I see Brody in his car and he's going to drive back from Jacksonville to Tampa. And I knew that he had like a 102 degree fever or something really high and he wasn't feeling very well. Little did I know this was going to be my final conversation with him. Little did we know this was going to be his last time at AEW. And I know I sent you the audio at one point to listen. Yeah, and did, I'm, yeah. I'm very, we all are at AEW. We don't want to do anything to exploit anything with, with his image, his likeness, you know, anything that, we feel like we're profiting off of Brody Lee's name, you know, besides celebrating his life. That's why I've never released the audio. I've been asked, hey, it would be a great idea to put it out there to promote the book. And I'm like, I don't want to promote no, no, the no, book no, 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 like that. No, I don't want no, 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 no. something comfortable for me. If Amanda ever wanted to hear it, I would give it to her, Brody's wife. And I know that, you know, when we got her copy on Saturday, Chris, that was huge. That was a six-month anniversary of Brody's passing. And Oh, did she get it? Yeah, she got it. And uh, I made sure through Chris Harrington. And, you know, I, I mean, for her, maybe hopefully that lifted her spirits a little bit as well that day. You know, that, that yeah. six months to the day of his passing, she's getting a book dedicated to him that we never told her we were doing well, this inscription, you know. And that's the thing. My, my, my idea was always to de dedicate the book to Pat Patterson, who was so huge in my career and also passed away, you know, within the year. And then Brody, obviously, oh my gosh, she fits in perfectly. And it is kind of a, it's kind of a, a funny honor that the last time he was in AEW, he was telling a story about me. That's pretty cool. And um, but once again, he had already been written very favorably because I found this great picture of us. 
so this was written this was not written posthumously it was written beforehand and then you know with all the events that transpired dedicating the book to him so i think it's kind of a fitting tribute to to our friendship and the impact he had on me as a as a performer as well so last question guys this has been awesome it's been great working with you overall for the last year plus and i'm sure we'll do some other stuff together but what is your favorite part of, of this book or the experience of, of doing the book? And I can start with you, Alex. I just learned a lot about wrestling. I've learned so much. And, and as you know, Chris, I go back to 1989 writing a pro wrestling column, you know, when kayfabe was still kayfabe. I mean, this was a, a different time when I started writing. You had mentioned earlier about how if you brought up that you were a wrestling fan in the industry, people thought you were a complete mark. And I'm talking about even if you were a wrestler, like I would never tell an old school wrestler, I really enjoyed this match of yours because yeah, yeah. I'm a friggin' idiot right now. It's like people can't stop talking about matches. Like it's like a completely different generation where the wrestlers are actually fans. And yeah, I've, yeah. Learned, I've learned that, but I just think to see, you know, your career, the way that it went, different things that you used throughout your career, different techniques to keep yourself relevant, how you always wanted to keep it fresh, how you always wanted to work with younger talent to try to keep it going with them, to try to help influence them. And just to see, you know, when you would ask people for a story and how you touch so many people in so many different ways, I just thought that was really interesting to me. You know, that everyone has a different story on Chris Jericho. And you would always hear something, you know, from John Moxley talking about how great it was that he got to work as a heel in your day. Winnipeg, in, yeah, yeah. Winnipeg, you know, and, and what a different, neat experience that was uh, for him. Uh, to, to Evan Bourne, you know, Matt Seidel now, you know, talking about his experience and how, you know, you helped him get this crowd reaction that he had been striving to get during his time. Yeah. And he finally got it working with you and how he got it. I mean, just neat things like that, that, that along the way, it helped my education grow because I see wrestling completely differently now than when I first started working at AEW. And I'm one of the more, quote, learned people about the history of wrestling. But until you've actually done it, until you've actually been there, I, you really don't know. And, and that's the one thing I feel really blessed. And, I, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to have done this book because it made me better as someone who tries to understand the wrestling industry. How about you, Pete? I can't pick one, but I'll do two quick ones. One was I really enjoyed um, learning more about AEW and, and you getting to AEW and, and, and this whole phase of your incredibly important, interesting phase of your career that hasn't yet been covered in other books. And right. it made me... Uh, it made me hungry and, and made me realize how much the world needs uh, the next memoir eventually. But then <laughs> another piece that, that I think is covering similar territory to what Alex was talking about, the, the Meltzer contribution that we ended up putting at the end of the book, where he goes through his favorite yes. Jericho mas matches and in the process reveals some history that I just don't think many people know. I even remember talking to you about it a minute, Chris, and being like the level of detail he has. Like you even, you know, uh, maybe picked up a detail or two uh, from that. I was writing comments during his stuff I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that to me is incredible uh, and just speaks to the idea that you, you know, it's not exactly the right uh, analogy because you're you more than, than a bit player, but you're – you're a bit of a of a of a professional wrestling uh, zealot in the idea that you've been in so many different places um, throughout the the history of this business over the last three decades, and it, it just really the Melcher piece in particular like brought home yeah. the idea to me of you know, th this book being like a, a central document that is like a wrestling history through the lens of Jericho. And, 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 and I got one, one other thing. And one other thing to add is that, you know, we also found out what a fan Tony Khan was. Yes. Yours. <laughs> and, you know, Tony wrote the forward to the book and it was interesting because he remembers all the Jericho matches that he saw live. And we have the matching, the, the corresponding numbers uh, to the matches themselves uh, that he put out there. We have the photo uh, taken by the judge, Jeff Jones of Chris literally signing his official <laughs> AEW contract on January 8th. 2019, uh, you know, to be officially join the crew. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was just interesting perspective from, from Tony as well. I mean, that's, and thank, and thank goodness for him because he gave his blessing for this. We're able to use AEW photos and he basically just said, whatever y'all need to put this thing together, you know, feel free to do it. And that, yeah, he's, that's the type he's of guy. That written down. He's the best. He's like, you know, uh, the first matches I was at were matches 584 and 585. He lists all the matches that he was at. And I know he loved that because he is a stats 
fanatic and he's he remembers everything so i gave him a copy of this book the other day i know you had given him a pdf when it came out but he was so excited like he just gets his he just gets super like a little kid he's like ah this is great i love it i love it it's great it's great it's great it's great um my my final thing is, is that i love the fact that this exists because once again and people say how long did it take to write this book it's like 30 years it took me right? forever no matter what happens like i said because in the back of my mind i was always nervous what if there's a fire there's something you lose it i never have to worry about that again it's great having it it was also a great idea at the, at the very the dust uh, that you open the book up and you can see the, the sheets of paper from 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 match number one along with the binder the clips of the binder you can see so just the fact that it exists is very important to me and I love the fact that I can hold it in my hand. And I never have to worry about, about losing this ever again. And like I said, if anybody's starting to wrestle, keep a list of, of, of matches. This will probably never happen again over this career worldwide, uh, you know, the expansiveness of it. But uh, I appreciate you guys in helping make this dream a reality. And uh, it's done a huge first week. And like Pete said, we might have to talk to him about doing a second print already. But I couldn't have done it without you guys. And uh, and another thing I'll say at the very end of it, we didn't even discuss money for this until the book was done. And we're all professionals here. I didn't even think about it. You guys obviously, were, the most important thing was let's make this book right. And then now we've made everybody's happy and all that stuff. But at first, money was never even discussed. And that shows how important and how into this book you guys were. So... I thank you for that. And last thing, Alex, why do you call Pete Boom Boom? Oh, because, you know, it's funny. I thought that was like his, your nickname for him or something. In the first email, you got some Boom Booms in there. So I'm just like, well, he's now Boom Boom. Just you know, we'll just make it like that. Help break the ice. It was good, you know. I mean, Well, it's funny because if you run a search on him, like, who is this guy? You know, you read about this DJ up in New York or something. You know what I mean? And it's his pop, and his pop's world famous, you know. So yeah. it was just very funny. So he became Boom Boom, and that was a, a fun way to, to keep it going, uh, you know, throughout. <laughs> That's just my version of you know done or or it's all boom. good just boom yeah. just boom. Pete, can you do so you know do this at this time? Boom, and then we've got um or boom boom, and then I I snuck in the book. All the spoiler alert for you, Alex, who hasn't picked it up. In my I I was incredibly nice, uh, very flattered to be asked to write a contribution myself to the book, and I did change my byline at the very last minute, hoping that you wouldn't see it until it was published. Pete. Boom Boom uh, Fornatel. Yes. <laughs> we got Boom Boom Jeffrey on and Boom Boom Fornatel. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks. Cheers.